Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. From uh, book of Genesis, chapter 8, verses 20 through nine seventeen. Hear the word of God this morning. Uh, yes. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you for this gracious moment that you have provided to bring us together to hear your word in unison, as a community, as your people. 
We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would make this time profitable by giving us the grace to hear this word and how it relates to our life. Father, we pray that you would lift any veil over our hearts, that you would remove any distraction, that you would make us wholly devoted to what you have to say to your church this morning. And Father, sanctify me as the preacher, that my words may be pure and clear, and that they may be a mouthpiece for you and you alone. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, I know this is news to no one, but we live in a, a world that seems fascinated with bad news. It makes our 24-hour news services watchable, that there's just plenty of, of bad news to watch. We feast on bad news. Bad news gets attention. Bad news gets printed. As we think about that, we also recognize how much there's a value in our culture to, to negativity. The one in the office that complains usually gets attention. The greasy wheel gets the grease. We also live in a world that is uh, pretty set on entitlement. It doesn't take very much going wrong before we all start demanding our rights the way things should be, we talk about how we've been uh, mistreated or how things have been unfair. I know in my household I can hardly get through a day without being reminded how I've been unfair one way or another. We're, we're hardwired, thinking that the world is a certain way and it must be a certain way and I deserve it a certain way. Despair is a major ailment in our culture. I know that there are people here, I know that there are people listening that just cannot seem to find anything in their life that is hopeful or joyful or, or, or happy. The, the, the number of people that, that struggle with depression in our culture is at epidemic levels. We are a world that seems to be drawn and sucked into bad news, negativity, complaint, entitlement, and despair. It's, uh, it asks the question, what do we do? How do we live in a world that is so fixated and filled with that message? How do we live in that world as Christians? I think we kind of find ourselves not... Uh, in any uh, exact sense like Jeremiah, but we do find ourselves in, a, in a, an emotional sense similar to what we discover of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, a book that he wrote in deep despair and deep anguish when his, his nation was destroyed in the judgment uh, for their disobedience. And Jeremiah was left a prophet who was given the uh, un desirable task of trying to preach to a people that God said would not repent. And after they did not repent, he had to live in the smoke and ashes of a destroyed Jerusalem. And the book of Lamentations is, is a recording of his grief before the Lord of what he experienced in this period. 
The turning point, though, of Lamentations is important. It comes in the third chapter, verse 19. We read, Jeremiah says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Jeremiah lived in a world that is the extreme of negativity, the extreme of bad news, the extreme of complaint and despair. And he himself wrestled with that despair honestly. He had great anguish. And yet, we find him in the midst, in the pit of that, discovering a light of hope, discovering that even in that despair and negativity were what he called new morning mercies. And how did he come to see these new morning mercies? It says right there in verse 21, this I call to mind. It was Jeremiah's work of focusing on new morning mercies that, that was required for him not to dwell upon the despair and the negativity, but to see God still working, God's mercies still fresh. And so what do we do when we live in a world of negativity? We, we do what Jeremiah has to do. We have to take as an act of will, seeking out and dwelling upon and recounting God's mercies. We have to see God's mercies. And the text that we have here in Genesis is a text that calls us to see that his world is full of new mercies Every morning, mercies that we take for granted, mercies that we mislabel as entitled to have. But as we look at what God gave us in the world after the flood, we are going to see four commitments God has made that demonstrate every day is full of his mercies. This is wrapped up in what we call the Noahic Covenant, God's promise to Noah and to all who were on the ark that he would not bring the flood like he did in the generation before. In this Noahic Covenant, we are going to see that God has committed himself to this world and committed every day to demonstrate mercies to us. And so it is an act of will that we must sees what he tells us here and look for them and live by them and rejoice in them. This is the anecdote to a world of bad news, negativity, entitlement, and despair. To look upon his new morning mercies. What are these new morning mercies that we're going to see today? We're going to see that every day since the Noahic covenant was established, God gives grace. We're going to see that every day since the Noahic Covenant, God blesses humanity. 
We're also going to see third, that every day since the Noahic covenant, God limits evil. And finally, we are going to see that every day since the Noahic covenant, God confirms his promise. These are the new morning blessings that are renewed every morning. And it is a call for us to seize them and know them and live upon them. And so as we go through these four mercies, these four commitments that come out of the Noahic Covenant, my challenge to you, are you receiving them? Are you acting upon knowing them and living them out? Are you a person defined by the negativity or are you a person who is renewed day by day by God's steadfast love of his new morning mercies that are for all of us to receive in the Noahic covenant? Let us look at each of these with some detail. First, every day, God gives grace. Every day, God gives grace. This is shown to us in in, uh, chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. Noah gets off the boat. He puts his foot on dry ground, and the first thing he does is he builds an altar and sacrifices whole burnt offerings to the Lord. Whole burnt offerings are sacrifices that are for the atonement of sin, but also sacrifices for thanksgiving. They are a way for Noah to declare to God, Thank you that you have delivered me and that you have put my foot upon dry ground. And we recognize that as Noah steps onto the dry ground, that he steps into that new creation, that he steps into a world where every day God gives grace. And why? Why do we know that? Because in this this small couple of verses, we see God resolving not to bring another flood. He says right there that he will not do as he has done. He will not bring another judgment upon the earth in the form of the flood. Now why? Why does God decide that he is not going to give another flood to the creation? Is it because he looks at Noah and he says, Finally, I've got a family that's going to do it right, it's going to obey, that's going to be good and righteous. I don't need to bring a flood anymore. I don't need to bring a judgment anymore because I finally have a creation that is going to obey, that is going to walk with me and be righteous in every way. No, that is not what he says. Look exactly at verse 21. Verse 21, Paul or, uh, <laughs> Genesis tells us, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature. It is not because God is now working with a renewed humanity that is no longer stained by sin. He says the reason that he is not going to bring a judgment is despite the fact that his people are still bent and inclined and have the intention of evil. He looks at Noah and he says, Noah, you deserve judgment. 
You yourself have not been righteous enough. And as the story continues, Noah's unrighteousness is going to take prominence. So why does God say, I am not going to give another flood? It is not because man merits a world without judgment. It is because God determines in himself that even though they are sinful, I will not do that again. It is by definition Every day is a gift of God's grace. Because every day deserves judgment. Every day is a world filled with people with sinful, rebellious hearts. Just like the sinful, rebellious hearts before the flood. But God does not bring the flood. Because God is resolved in his heart. I won't do that. And the only thing that that rests upon is God's grace. And so, verse 22, we live in a world described this way. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God has determined to relate to his creation though it is still sinful and still rebellious, with what we call the doctrine of common grace. Common grace is God's grace to all of creation, to every person. Everyone is a recipient of God's grace. That is why we call it common, not because it's not good, not because it's it's, uh, uh, passable, but because it has been given universally. It is to everyone. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology defines it this way. Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. So there's a second aspect of what common grace is. First, common grace is given to all people. It's not given in the same measure, but it is given to all people. But second, it is common in that it is distinguished from what we call saving grace. Common grace does not save. Common grace is simply God's benevolence and goodness and kindness that he shows every single person in his creation. And that common grace is everything. It includes the sunrises. It includes seed time and harvest. It includes day and night, summer and winter. It includes the regularity of the world that allows us to live and function. That is part of common grace. You see, when we look at the Noahic Covenant, we, we must open our horizon. God's grace is more than the gospel. It is everything that we have. Do you see what that does to our entitlement mentality? If we come thinking, well, everything in my life is, is, uh, is, in, is, is part of, of um, a contract of fairness except for salvation, then the only thing that you give thanks to God for is the grace that you have received in salvation. But what we learn from the Noahic Covenant is the ground you stand on and the breath that you breathe and the fact that the alarm went off in the morning and you get to take on a new day is itself grace, undeserved, 
blessing upon your life. God's grace accounts for everything we have. As the psalmist says in Psalm 145, 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. So it means that everybody here, whether you are in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or not, owe thanks to God for His grace to you. Jesus explains this in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Do you see how incredible God's common grace is? The sunrise is a blessing to the good, but it is also God's kindness to the evil. He sends rain on the crops of the farmer who is obedient, and he sends rains on the crop of the farmer that is unjust. Because God is gracious, and his grace covers all people. Everything that you have is not yours by deserts. Everything that you have is yours by a gift from God. Even his enemies at the day of judgment will be forced to recognize they received grace. And that will heap upon them. So my question to you, Every day God gives grace. Have you received this day as a gift from the Lord? Everything about it. This, this, this day, the fact that you woke up, your heart beat, that, that you got out of bed, no matter how many cricks and pains and difficulty it got going, you got going. Our life should be like Noah's. We are stepping out every day into a world of God's grace. And the response to that is a whole burnt offering, not of an animal, but of your life. You sacrifice your life as a gift of praise and thanksgiving to God because God gave you life today and you don't deserve it. To wake up with thanksgiving is to say, I live entirely by your grace. I live for you, Lord. Because every day God gives grace. But second, every day God blesses humanity. In chapter 9, 1 through 4, we, we see God saying words that are familiar to us. He says to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and increase upon the earth. And then he tells Noah and his family that they have every green plant and every animal now is given to them for food. We've read these words before. They were, they were given to Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. They are, they are stock uh, words of, of blessing. But what we miss here is that when he gives them to Noah, he is giving these words completely 
out of grace. He is promising to know in his family future generations. Family that will not be able to be counted. And that is not owed. Because as we, as we saw in, in uh, chapter 8, the intent of even Noah's heart is sinful. And so when God is giving this blessing, he is giving it to fallen humanity. The blessing given to Noah was, was to an unfallen man, a, a man who was made in the image of God to go and reflect his glory. Now he is saying be fruitful and multiply to fallen humanity, to humanity who by definition cannot live their lives in a manner that truly reflects God's glory. So what does every generation receive when they receive this blessing? They are now reflectors of his mercy. Your existence as part of the commandment to Noah, be fruitful and multiply, is an existence of mercy. Let me, let me make this, this clear. If you, if you are the creator of something and your works go rogue, what, what do you do? Do you say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to live with it. We're, we're going let it, to let it go. I mean, if you, if you are a farmer and you plant crops and the crops come up diseased, do you say, well, I'm, I'm just going to keep planting more of these crops that, that keep coming up diseased? No, you destroy the crops and you start with fresh seed. Or if you're a, a farmer and, and one of your animals attacks you, do you say, well, I'm, I'm going to go put that one out to, out to have some more... <laughs> More sheep or more goats or cows? No, that one goes to slaughter. God is saying, even though you have gone rogue in your heart, even though you are not reflecting my glory, but are instead bent in on yourselves, even the best of you, even though you deserve to be removed, I am giving you the promise that you will have future generations. You will be fruitful and multiply. Babies, let's not forget, are one of God's greatest blessings. In a world full of babies, we have something to be joyful about. I remember when I had my firstborn, just the, just the, I mean, the, the boundless joy that just looking at this beautiful little uh, child gave me. And I am convinced... <laughs> that a child in its first five years brings in the same amount of joy into this world that we bring out the rest of our life. I mean, those first five years are just smiles and delights and, and, and laughs. Babies are a sign of God's blessing. They are a sign of God's uh, continued mercy. That we have a world that is still giving birth to babies shows God's blessing upon sinful man remains. Just imagine a world without children. There would be no future. There would be no hope. There was a movie that came out about uh, 10 years ago called uh, Children of Men. And it's a science fiction movie. And its entire 
uh, idea is what would happen if there was a, an affliction on the human race where women could no longer have babies. And it showed what the world looked like after the, the first 18 years. The movie starts with the news of the youngest person on the planet dying and how that just destroyed everybody because that youngest person was the hope of the world. Everybody is getting older. Everybody is getting more and more decrepit. Everybody is getting closer to death. And the world became a place of extreme decadence and depression because everybody is just waiting for the end. That is a world without children. That is a world that does not have God's blessing upon humanity. Now, I don't... I don't know what to make of this, but just a couple, uh, a week ago, I, I read an article uh, talking about the plummeting fertility rate in the United States. When I was a kid, it was, it was like 2.1 or 2.2. 2.1 is the replacement rate. It, is, it has fallen to 1.7, which is to say that uh, the United States does not have a replacement rate of children. Our population will shrink Extinction is in that number if it does not change. And that number is becoming more and more common in post-Christian cultures. Europe has abysmally low numbers. We live in a world that has skyrocketing numbers of abortion. 60 million people in this country have been killed in the womb since Roe v. Wade was legalized. Friends, babies, children are a blessing. What can we expect of a culture that no longer seeks and celebrates the blessing of children? Every day we are experiencing God's blessing upon human life. How do we show gratitude for that? We must treasure Life. James tells us exactly what that looks like. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, for us to be celebrating the the blessing of life, the blessing of future generations, God's blessing of being fruitful and multiply is to treasure life, every life. The orphan and the widow, those who seem to be unproductive and unfruitful, are just as loved and precious. That is what living in gratitude to God's new morning mercies looks like. And third, every day God is limiting evil. In uh, chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, we have the first addressing of sin through law. God gives a law in verses 5 and 6. Let's read it together. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God said that the days of Cain and his wickedness are not going to be the case any longer. 
There will be a law to restrain the taking of life and to punish the taking of life. God's law right here is beautiful. It makes life precious. Life cannot be uh, put on a value. It cannot be exchanged for money. The only thing that can properly value life is life itself. It is infinitely precious. Why? Because life is in the image of God. Even in the fall, the image of God has not been taken. And so life is precious is what God's law teaches us. And God's law protects that life by deterring it and by making sure that it is avenged with justice. Now that that law is just the the first fruits of of what will come later. More laws by God will come to, to restrain and deter more sin. And we may rightly say, well, there's still a lot going wrong. There's still a lot of law breaking going on. We do live in a world that is fallen, and, and, and I'm overwhelmed with all the evil that we see in it. I mean, it, it's, it's not made-up news that fills the news network. There is a lot of bad news, a lot of wickedness and treachery in this world. So much so that, I mean, most murders don't even make the news. Yet, the world's evil is actually limited. God's law does not stop all evil. We we can't make that argument. But God's law actually restrains wickedness. As we are told by Paul in Romans 13, 3 and 4, the, 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 the state that executes the law, we are told this, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God is saying that, uh, or Paul is telling us that God has given us uh, the law, and he has given us uh, the the, uh, judicial system, and he has given us government, to make sure that the law restrains wickedness and sin. And it does. Even as much as we see in the world, this is undeniable. Evil could be much worse than it is. That sounds terrifying that I can say that, but that is true. Evil could be a lot more rampant than it is. How do I know that? What What is the simple proof of that? Because we can still be shocked by evil. There are still things that happen that shock us. Like I didn't even know that the evil, that the mind could go that far, that could go that evil. We are shocked by, by moments of evil, and that is evidence that there is a restraining force. Because the fact that we can still be shocked is to say that the most evil in this world has not become normal has not become numbing. Now here's something terrifying that for those who are living in God's common grace but not his saving grace, I share. 
in hell. The most shocking evil you have seen or heard here will be the most mild thing that happens there. Why do I say that? Because in hell, it will be devoid of any of God's goodness, mercy, or restraint. Evil will be unhinged and run amok to degrees we can't even imagine. Last week, we looked at the verse of heaven saying, No eye has seen, nor uh, ear heard, nor mind imagined what lays in store for those who love God. What terrifies me for those who are not in Christ is that I think the opposite is also true. For those who are outside of Christ, what no eye has seen, or ear heard, or mind imagined is probably in store. God, every day, is limiting evil. Every day we have God restraining that evil. So how do we thank God for his law? By being law keepers ourselves, by being those who love justice. Micah 6.8 is our pursuit as those who, who seek to love the mercy of God through his law. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So every day God gives grace, every day God blesses humanity, every day God limits evil, and these are things that we can claim and that we can look at as new morning mercies. But fourth, and my favorite, every day God confirms his promise. Every day God confirms his promise. God has made these blessings wrapped up in what is called a covenant. A covenant is a solemn oath that God has made to his creation. He has declared publicly and loudly and in writing his promise to the creation. And his promise is that there will never be a flood to destroy all life again. He makes that promise unconditionally. He makes it unilaterally. There are no conditions that are placed upon this promise. There is no way that this covenant can be broken or rescinded. It is God's word and it is everlasting that there will not be a judgment by the flood. And he has sealed it with a universal sign. I love that the ESV uses the word bow instead of translating it in many uh, Bibles as rainbow, even though it is a rainbow. But the, 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 the word is bow. And what is significant about that is the, the, the rainbow takes the appearance of a bow and arrow, a bow being hung on the wall. It is in the non-combat position. It is not in his hands to shoot. It is in rest. God has said every time that the rainbow appears to remind us that God has hung up his his battle arms of judgment. Look again at verses 12 through 15. 
verses 12 through 15. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Every rainbow evidences God's promise is kept. As Hamilton says in his commentary, the point is made as unequivocally as possible. That God's promises are entirely believable. His words are totally trustworthy. He backs up his word with an act to eliminate even the possibility of forgetfulness. He stands by his word. And every day we wake up with rainbows, whether we see them, they're, they're somewhere. With rainbows that confirm God's promise. Every rainbow tells us again and afresh that we live under God's common grace. Rainbows over centuries and over millennia are here to tell us God's word is trustworthy. It does not change. It does not, it does not become unreliable. There is nothing that happens that changes God's everlasting promise that he has made here. God is keeping his word, and every rainbow is to declare to us God is faithful to his promise. He has been faithful to every generation before you, and he will be faithful to you as well. Believe in his word. Now that does not mean that a rainbow is a cause for complacency. It would be to misread what God is doing here to take the rainbow as a sign of, well, God won't judge. That is not what's being communicated. He is very specific. He will not judge again according to the flood. But that does not mean that he will not bring a judgment yet again. Let us not forget that what we have been looking at today is God's common grace. These are blessings that every single one of us inside of the gospel or outside of the gospel can claim and give thanks to God for. But as common grace, it is not salvific. The Noahic covenant is only preparatory. But it is preparatory. It calls us to look to a better covenant with greater promises and blessings. And in fact, it preserves us To hear a better covenant with better promises being pronounced. That is the gift of the Noahic covenant that it has prepared and perpetuated this world to hear the better covenant that is in Christ. The better covenant has come. Hear what Hebrews tells us, chapter 10, verses 14 to 17. For by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
You see, the covenant that we need, the covenant that truly changes our hearts and forgives us of our sins and blesses us with life eternal is the covenant of Christ. And that covenant has come and it has been declared to you because by God's common grace, you have been preserved for it. Beloved, by your waking up in this world today, you know that God's word is good to Noah. How much greater can we trust God's word given to us in the gospel that is sealed by the blood of his own son? The covenant that Christ brings to us is a far better covenant than Noah's covenant. So every day, God gives grace, he blesses humanity, he limits evil, he confirms his promise. These are the new morning mercies given to us. How do we respond to this new grace every day? Simply by gratitude and devotion. There isn't a single one here who does not have occasion to give thanks to God. I, I love the, 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 the phrase, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That is the sacrifice of praise that should be on our lips every morning. That we should speak to every single one of these blessings as they are new to us every morning. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. So gratitude and devotion, but, but I also must speak to those, and, and I... I know that there are those who are living under common grace alone this morning. To those, God's common grace has been given to you for one single purpose. To make today the day of your repentance. God's daily grace means today has been given to you as an opportunity to turn and place yourself in the saving covenant of Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is is the day of salvation. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you repented and placed yourself completely by faith alone in Christ alone? This is the gospel, and it is the greatest grace that all who have it wake up to each morning. Amen? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.